everybody, and welcome to another My Ruby Story. This week, we're talking to Saverio Mirodi. Yeah. Saverio, do you want to say hello? Hello, everybody. This episode is sponsored by Sentry.io. Recently, I came across a great tool for tracking and monitoring problems in my apps. Then I asked them if they wanted to sponsor the show and allow me to share my experience with you. Sentry provides a terrific interface for keeping track of what's going on with my app. It also tracks releases so I can tell if what I deployed makes things better or worse. They give full stack traces and as much information as possible about the situation when the error occurred to help you track down the errors. Plus, one thing I love, you can customize the context provided by Sentry. So, if you're looking for specific information about the request, you can provide it. It automatically scrubs passwords and secure information, and you can customize the scrubbing as well. Finally, it has a user feedback system built in that you can use to get information from your users. Oh, and I also love that they support open source to the point where they actually open source Sentry if you want to self-host it. Use the code devchat at sentry.io to get two months free on Sentry's small plan. That's code devchat at sentry.io. Now, um, it's, it's kind of funny. Um, are, are you from Italy, if I remember right? Yes, yes. I live in Germany, but I'm Italian. Right. So you're the second Italian that I've spoken to today. And um, uh -huh. it's kind of funny. We did a React Native radio episode earlier today. And uh -huh. uh, yeah, N neither Italian actually lives in Italy, which is kind of funny to Ouch. me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, actually, part of my career was that I left Italy because at the time I wanted, I, I was hoping to find a wider, let's say, technological landscape. So there may be a thing, you know? Yep. Makes sense. And I lived in Italy for two years. So uh, it's always wow. fun for me to talk to Italians. Of course, uh, usually when I wind up speaking to somebody from Italy, what happens is, is I'll start chatting with them in, in Italian and then they'll revert back to English before I do. Uh -huh. So I don't get as much practice as I want. But anyway, um, so what part of Italy are you from? I'm just curious. I'm Sicilian, from Sicily, northeast oh. of Sicily. Yeah, I lived in a few cities, actually, also in the north, uh, southeast, Sicily, southeast. Um, um, I also lived in a few other cities. I lived in Verona in the northeast and Milan in the northwest. Okay. Yeah, um, I lived in Verona. I also lived in Pordenone, which is way up in the northeast. Yeah. Um, and then I lived down in Tuscany in Arezzo and over in, Lermar in Le Marche in... Uh, uh, oh, wow. On Kona, a bit. and and I have I have some friends that uh, live in Syracuse and a few other places in Italy. So yes, so yeah, so you're you're talking about Sicily, and yeah, I've I've known a few people that are either from there or live there. So yeah, mm -hmm. um, but anyway, we're we're here to kind of talk about you and and uh, your story here. Um, now, I also want to just throw out there for people who are wondering, you were on episode 381 of Ruby Rogues, and we yes. talked about uh, GUI development. Um, and, and that was about a year ago. So before we dive too much into your backstory, I'm a little curious over the last year, has anything changed for you or are things mostly in the same place? Uh, well, it, it depends on what exactly, because you know, that, that application that I wrote and the analysis that I did, it's pretty much the same as it was. Uh, I don't think there is anything that radically changed. Honestly, I felt that, um, the Ruby GUI landscape is not really a wide solution uh, to solve it, to build GUIs, you know. Uh, so the original project that started everything is still there and I use it daily multiple times a day. But to be honest, in the future, I'm going to move it to Golang because I start to feel the limitations of, you know, the frameworks Ruby itself. 
Um, so that 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 part, the title, my uh, work is is the same as it was in this moment a year ago. Then there has been other things that changed considerably, most notably my contributions to open source, but that's the way more or less it was. Right. Nice. Well, um, let, let's dive in and talk a little bit about your backstory and how you got into programming in Ruby. Um, let's start with how you got into programming. Uh, that's interesting, yes, because programming and programming in Ruby are two different things. I actually fell in love with programming when I was seven. Uh, as soon as I saw, you know, a Commodore 64, I just loved it. And I started, you know, to just open the manual and start to program the time. It was more than 30 years ago. And uh, at the time, there was the basic 2.0. Uh, so that's, you know, the amateur programming, but those are the roots. Um, then, unfortunately, my parents didn't care, and I was in a small town, so I couldn't follow up, you know, professionally with that. My professional follow-up has been around something like 16, 17 years later. And it's a bit of a curious story. Uh, I do my career to corruption in a way, uh, because after a few jobs you know, related to IT, I started to work as a consultant system administrator for IBM. And there was a project in the Italian Prefetture. Uh, Prefetture are just an administrative subdivision of the government. And uh, there was this project where IBM sold servers to Italy, you know, big numbers of servers, I think hundreds. And uh, our job as a consultant was to patch them and that was it. So we worked for a couple of years, uh, doing just half an hour of work every day, and then nothing during the rest of the day. And uh, so I thought, well, okay, I want to do to, to learn something new, and I started to study Java. So you know, I had more than seven hours every day to, to study. I started studying Java, and then after two years, I could consider myself, you know, a junior. And uh, so I changed job and I proposed myself as a Java programmer. And that was my start as a professional programmer. Ruby came later. Um, at the time I was in London and I was looking for an interesting job. And there was a small startup at the time. They were on Rails, you know, that was something like 10 years ago where Rails was, you know, the new interesting framework. Yeah. The, yeah, you know, the version probably at the time was something like 2.2 or something. Um, and I was working for fun. I was writing a database in my spare time. So a database system. And uh, they wanted somebody probably who, you know, was skilled with databases or, you know, they had something for databases. I had it. And so I started to work as a Ruby uh, junior uh, with database skills. Very cool. So it's interesting. I mean, you know, moving from uh, Java to Ruby, um, yes. I know a lot of people that made that transition. Of course, um, back when I got into Ruby, Rails was, I think it had just come to like 1.1, 1.1.2, I think was the version wow. that I started on. And uh, a lot of people were kind of bagging on Java because there were things that they liked about Ruby that I guess were a lot better. And I had done some Java in college, but you know, not to the extent where I could I, I guess knowledgeably complain about Java. 
<laughs> so, yeah. Um, but, but it's no, interesting. I, yeah, I don't have a negative opinion of Java. You know, they made lots of very interesting stuff. And, uh, you know, there is always the debate on if, you know, um, static typing on large scale is the right choice or is a better suited choice, you know, than dynamic typing. Um, so I was, I was quite happy. It was just a project that wasn't interesting. Then of course, Ruby opened an entire world for me. Yeah. And, uh, but to, nowadays I also tend to do a lot of scripting. Uh, Ruby is still a big part of it. Nice. So, so how was it that you found Ruby? Uh, how, sorry, how did I find it? Yeah. How did somebody introduce you to it or did, did oh. some, did you find it on the internet or how did that oh, go? No, no, it was just, uh, so at the time I was a Java programmer, but the company that hired me, they hired me as a Ruby, as a junior Ruby program, a programmer. So the, the, their product, uh, they were at the time, there were something like only two programmers and then I was the, the third. And uh, their product was in Ruby. It was in Ruby on Rails. So I started to study Ruby on the job. A few years ago at a JavaScript conference, I was approached by Nader Dabit. And you might know him from the React Native Radio podcast. He's also a developer evangelist for Amazon. And when he came to me, we had a conversation about React Native. And the thing that I love about React Native is that it's approachable, it's web technology, and it's cross-platform. And it makes a lot of things really easy for developers to jump in and do interesting things on mobile with JavaScript. So we've had this show now running for several years, React Native Radio, where we interview people about the React Native ecosystem, some of the things that are coming out in React and how they affect mobile, and other options that you have for mobile development. So if you're doing mobile development, you're doing it in JavaScript, you're looking for a good option, or maybe you're just trying to stay current with React Native, then go check out React Native Radio at reactnativeradio.com. Right. That makes sense. So they, they were a Java company, but they hired you and then asked you to do Ruby. Uh, no. Okay, let me clarify. So I was in London and I was working in Java uh, on a large-scale application, uh, large-scale reporting application. Uh -huh. I left the job and I started to program in my own spare time. And uh, then I searched for a new job and there was this small company who had oh, okay. a Ruby on Rails product. And they hired me as, um, uh, as a Ruby junior programmer, even if I had no prior knowledge because they were interested mostly in my database skills. Right. And so they, they, you didn't know Ruby before then? No. Interesting. So, so what was your experience then learning Ruby? And how long ago was this? Oh, 10 years ago, more or less. Okay. Yeah, yeah, I still work for the same company. Well, it was... Oh, wow. It was, yeah, you know. Um, it was interesting. You know, at the time, I didn't have much cognitions of, um, of uh, programming languages. Um, but, you know, all the pretty much usual things, usual considerations about languages apply. The thing that I think is the, the most important is that our boss had a background in agile programming so we had a set of practices that uh made programming ruby solid uh because the, the biggest problem with you know um dynamically typed languages is that if you don't have i believe a strong very strong suite of tests then you know things start to fall apart so mm -hmm. we had good practices we had a very fluid uh language you know that is ruby 
Um, we didn't have, you know, the scale where, you know, there was, oh, you know, uh, Ruby's low and so on. We didn't have this problem. It was also very, very fast, you know, to prototype stuff in, uh, you know, with Rails and Ruby. So it was, it was fun and it was, you know, solid. It's not something where, you know, after 17 years, seven, eight years or whatever, you start to think, oh, that's garbage. I mean, it's inevitable, you know, that uh, you find things that you don't like, but there is a difference between tangles, unmaintainable tangles and things that have been solidly programmed. So it's been a good experience, a very good experience from the beginning. Nice. So I, I guess, I guess the, the next question I have is how did you get into things like shoes and hackety hack and Ruby motion and all of that stuff since your first rail or Ruby job was doing rails. And it sounds like that's probably what you spend most of your time on these days anyway. Ah, yeah, that's because actually, so I'm also, so right now I'm a tech lead and systems engineer, backend engineer, and I work a lot on tooling. Um, as a backend person, I'm not very visual, you know, for example, I don't like using the mouse. Uh -huh. <laughs> and uh, so I'm a bit connected to, I, I, I would say that I'm a bit old school, you know? So if I have to do, if I write tooling, um, it's true that nowadays you do everything from a browser. So you write in JavaScript with a web interface, but my, my, but my instinct is to write a GUI, you know, uh, right. if, if it's small and I have and I have to do something like a GUI. So this is why. It's because I'm I, I'm not very close to the to the uh, visual part to browsers and so on. So still, my first you know uh, connection is to GUI frameworks, and that's why, for example, my project was just very simple. I just need something where I I, I, I type a hotkey and then I type some uh, a name and then I want to see all of my files in my operating system in my disks. And uh, for me, the most immediate way of doing things was just by using a GUI framework, not, you know, web browsers and so on. Right. Not about minimal solutions, so Ruby uh, provided this. Very cool. And, and yeah, I'm, I'm still a little curious how you got into that particular angle of things, though. Was it just, you know, kind of a holdover from Java where it was, you know what, I want to build the GUI kind of as a native GUI instead of a web GUI? Uh, it, it's just, you know, the, my angle is just that I start, um, I, I never, I never personally got into this browser centered, uh, way uh -huh. of doing things. And I still, you know, there is, for example, uh, what is it? You know, there is visual code, I think, uh, you know, things that are built on layers that are very high level. Uh, I'm not too much into that. So right. I prefer to write something that, that it's a bit uh, closer to the metal in a way, which I know is right. old fashioned, it's old school, and I wouldn't do it for big projects, okay? But still, I see things independent from a browser. I personally see, you know, instinctively, the browser as a middle layer that I personally don't need. Again, right. this is also because I work a lot on tools. Sometimes tools you just throw aways. Uh, they're small. Um, maybe the, uh, the, the, the layer, uh, the user frame, the front, uh, front end is not so important. So I, I don't think into instinctively of the middle layer that is the browser. Right. Makes sense. 
Um, so what are you working on these days? Uh, well, I still work. So that's interesting because um, I still work with my company or, you know, we, we have a product that is, you know, the market leader in their segment in uh, Ireland, the UK. Now, the thing is that um, I started to look for other work jobs um, la, around 10 years ago. And I got, you know, into interviews with GitLab and GitHub. Uh, they got rejected, but they rejected me. But my uh, my boss made me an interesting offer, uh, giving me the opportunity to work paid for for, for up to forty percent of the time on whatever I want. This includes any type of open source or studying or anything I want, essentially. So aside the work work that I do. Um, I have lots of time to work on everything I want on open source. So I had lots of, you know, not big, but lots of small contribution, um, very dif- different from each other. So this year has been very interesting in, you know, getting in touch with, uh, with open source in general. So this for me has been a very interesting uh, experience that I still do. Nice. So one one other thing I'm curious about what what does a day for you look like? Like you get up in the morning, you yeah. know, you brush your teeth or whatever, and then <laughs> and then what happens? Uh, it happens is that I log in and in the morning we have this agreement, you know. So I've been promoted to tech lead, and uh, because you know the systems team needed you know a direction that uh, my CEO couldn't you know give anymore due to the fact that we're growing. Uh, so in the morning, mostly I work on coordination with my team. So I review the PRs. Uh, so we, we follow, you know, a quite strict, let's say, uh, GitHub style workflow. So uh-huh. there are, you know, I write issues or somebody else has write them. And we discuss them. Then, of course, we have to stand up. I review the PRs. I open PRs. In the morning, I do the collaborative part of my job. Um, then essentially generally for lunchtime, I disconnect and then I work alone on, uh, everything. I may work on something that's related to work or I may study, or I may pick up, you know, a task from an open source job, an open source project, an issue, or generally stuff with issue always, even when I write a PR. Um, but that's pretty much, so it's very varied, you know, it may, it may happen that I just study for the entire afternoon or write tooling for work. It's, uh, it depends, but there is this division, you know, morning work, work and team, and then open source or studies disconnected in the afternoon. Very cool. And I'm curious too, because a lot of times we highlight, okay, this is what it's like for Saverio at work. And this is what it's like, um, you know, to, to work on the things that he does or what, what he's interested in but we don't really get the full picture of who you are. And so I'm, I'm a little curious too. I mean, outside of programming and work, uh, what do you like to do? What do you spend your time on? Uh, you know, who do you I, live with? Uh, what, what kind of lifestyle do you live? Um, yeah. How's your German if you're Italian living in Germany? <laughs> okay, well, um, lots of things. I have to say that actually I love programming and studying also outside of work. Okay, it's not work, work, but for me, it's a blur. So I still program and study outside. Uh, if you exclude that though, um, I, do, I do swing dance and bouldering, uh, which is bouldering, I, I do lots of sport actually, and bouldering has been big for me in the last years. It's Bo- bouldering? 
yes, it's a it's a variety. Let's call it of climbing. Uh, instead of doing the you know with a rope up to fifteen meters or whatever, you do it without a rope up to three or four meters with big mattresses. So you're free to you know go up and then fall without injuring yourself. It's more intense. It's a bit compared to sports climbing. It's a bit like saying. Um, uh, the, what to say? The, the 100 meters compared to a marathon. You know, it's intense, it's quick, uh, and that's the nature of it. And then also the swing bands. Those are my two activities. Then I also have a daughter, so I spend time with my daughter, and uh, and then go out. That's those are my main things in my life. I, I'm particularly in love with Germany uh, because I like the Northern European culture. And uh, I find a very good compromise here in Germany between, you know, the South and the North. For me, there is, right. you know, there is a very a visible uh, gradient, let's call it. And uh, this is kind of in the middle. It's towards Northern and I love it, but it has a bit of Southern. So I'm happy here. My German is terrible. I can use it, <laughs> but um, it's um, self-taught and uh, it just works. I never like to do uh, courses for learning something that I can learn on a book. So right. it's, <laughs> it's usable. Nice. Very cool. One of my favorite communities to get involved with these days is the Angular community. There are so many great people there. We've had a lot of them on Adventures in Angular over the last several years. And I really wanted to just highlight people and give you a chance to get to know the flavor and the feel of being around some of these awesome people. We've talked to people on the Angular Core team. We've talked to people who have organized the conferences. We've talked to some of the co-hosts that I've had on Adventures in Angular. Nowadays, Aaron Frost is running the show and he's doing the same thing. Typically, he's been doing it at conferences lately, which is a lot of fun. But you get to hear what these people are about and why they care and how they get involved with other people in the Angular community. So if you're looking for that connection in the Angular community and a way to really understand the people who are involved in the Angular community, then go check out My Angular Story. You can find it at myangularstory.com. Is, is there anything else that people should know about you as far as what you like or what you, you know, any opinions you have on how software is done or things like that? Uh, yeah, well, actually talking about open source, I have a very, um, I, I had bad and good experiences. Um, my first, you know, it's kind of commonplace to say, let's work on rates. Then I found out that it's a terrible idea. So here's where I can give an opinion, which is I have a very opinionated one. And I think that uh, I would advise people that want to work on open source to stay far from Rails because it suffers from the manage, you know, it's difficult to manage an open source project. And uh, I think it's very much, if you want to have a community, it's very much like training people at work, you know? It takes effort. And I don't see this as rails. Um, you know, there are something like five, 600, I think, PRs open. And, you know, what are they doing? They're not closed. They're not worked on. So that's, that, that's for me, it's not a welcoming way, a way of working on a project. I don't doubt that, it, that there are great, you know, developers that work on that. Uh, and they do, they do things. But if you take instead something like GitLab, for example, GitLab is great. They take community work really seriously. Uh, it's, they have people who, you know, guides people. They have programs for making, you know, 
the community work on things. Their, their, their interview project, uh, their interviews are based on actually, you know, taking an issue from the issue tracker and working on it. And this is wonderful. You know, they say, ah, uh, people likes to think that hiding is broken, but some companies do it well, and I think GitLab does. Um, there are many things. I mean, I, I work on other things. If somebody really wants something high profile, of course, you can GitLab. Bundler does it okay as well. They follow people. Diaspora, they're also responsive, you know. Uh, lately, I've been working on, uh, I work on any, any language, you know. Um, Terraform, everybody knows Terraform in the system. And that's a really great, again, project to work on. They're very responsive and, you know, Paradoxically, I'm happy when people close this APR because it, it means that they care. You know, I prefer somebody who closes APR and say, sorry, this is wrong, which happened to me, rather than leaving my PR open for six months <laughs> without knowing what's happening. So those are projects, you know, that, that, that they're a good start for people who want to, you know, dig their feet into open source, I think. Nice. Yeah, that makes sense. And and yeah, you're right about Rails. There's a lot going on there as opposed to some of these other projects where you're kind of working at a higher level, right? Because all of the Rails extractions are already there. You're not working on them. You're working with them. And then, yeah, the other thing is, is depending on what the submission is, yeah, it, it makes sense that it's going to be something that is, I guess, a little bit more straightforward as far as what you're trying to add to the project. And yeah, hopefully people are responsive because, yeah, I'm, I'm not good at that either sometimes with some of the gems that I've put out there. I get busy and then I come back and I'm like, oh, there's a pull request that's been sitting here for six months. Yeah, the paradox is that, uh, at least personally, I personally would prefer close it because at least it's honest, you know? Uh, it's, the, it's the paradox of um, thinking that you can hurt somebody if you close their PR, uh, but in reality, it's the lesser evil of, you know, leaving somebody uh, hanging for a year, two years. I mean, again, on Rails, there are PRs that are years and years old. And I pick Rails just because for me it was the glaring example, but of course there are other PRs. Um, Terraform is great, but then the Terraform plugins are different and it seems that they, that they are handled by different maintainers. And I think then it happens again. You, know, you open a PR, that, a PR that follows an issue, you know, so it's not something that, you know, I just uh, woke up one day and just decided to, to do. Uh, and then they hang for months and months. Uh, so I think this is something that maintainers should, you know, take into account. Uh, if you hurt somebody by closing a PR, it's okay. Uh, it's, I think it's fine to, 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 you know, make explicit that you don't have the time and the content, you know, and that you just can't work on it. Yep, makes sense. Cool. Well, um, let's go ahead and move into picks. Um, and picks are just things that you want to shout out about, just like on Ruby Rogues. Do you have some things ah. that you want to shout out about on the show? Uh, well, my picks were actually the open source projects, you know? So uh, it's for programmers, you know? So to recap, my picks are if you want to program in, blah, 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 in Ruby, just go for GitLab. Um, if you want to program in Golang, uh, go for Terraform. Um, yeah, and those are my projects. Another friend of mine is actually working on a programming language called Gobi. Now, I wouldn't, uh, that's, I don't express whether it's worth or not, but if you need to write an interpreter and compiler, 
in Poland. It's actually lots of fun. Uh, so that's another pick of mine. Nice. I'm trying to think of what I should pick. Um, I mean, I've been, I've been reading a few books lately uh, and uh, working on some things. Um, one of them is a book called Superfans. It's by Pat Flynn. If you listen to the Smart Passive Income podcast, which is a podcast about uh, basically running a business online or making money online. Um, it just talks about uh, how to move people up the, um, the ladder of, you know, becoming uh, bigger and bigger fans of what you're doing. And we definitely have some people that are super fans of what we're doing at devchat.tv. And it's always fun to talk to those folks and just find out how we've really had an impact on them. Um, if you'd like to reach out and let me know how DevChat's impacted you, uh, be that through Ruby Rogues or my Ruby story, or maybe one of our other shows, go ahead and do that. You can do that through devchat.tv slash 15 minutes. That's one five minutes. And uh, yeah, let me know. Um, I'm also toying with the idea of the possibility of having guest hosts from the wider community out there come on to some of the shows. So if you're a fan of the show and you like to be a guest host, then uh, email me and let me know and we'll see if we can have you on one of the shows. Even if you're not sort of the expert on whatever topic we're talking about, it'd be fun just to have you on the show just to see what you think. So, you know, you, you can chime in and ask questions of our guests and things like that. Um, we also talked to DHH, what, two weeks ago? And so that episode should be coming out pretty darn soon and that'll be fun. Uh, so yeah, so that's Super Fans by Pat Flynn. I went to the launch party for that, which was fun uh, at Podcast Movement and then got Pat to sign the book. So I'm, I'm pretty uh, bullish on that. And then I guess another pick that I have, so I've been running, uh, I'm going to be running a marathon in about five weeks. And um, I've, I've, I really have, it's funny because earlier in life, I hated running. Um, I was on the swim team and when our coach would make us get out of the water and go run, oh, I hated that. But now I'm really loving it. I love getting out there and just going for, you know, uh, I think the longest run I've done so far is 12 miles. And I just, you know, I just love doing it. Um, 12 miles is about what, 20 K 20 kilometers. So anyway, really, really just enjoying, enjoying that a lot. Um, one thing I figured out though, is that friction is not your friend when it comes to your skin. So, you know, I'd be running and um, my shorts would actually rub against my legs. And when you're running for that long, it would rub enough to actually rub it raw. And so it'd start to sting um, and, and hurt. And the other thing is, is the shorts I was running in actually, um, they, they had like two or three layers to them. And so they would soak up, you know, sweat and humidity from the air and get wet and then get heavy. And that made it harder to run. It also made the rubbing worse. And so, um, I went online and I found some sort of single layer fast drying shorts on Amazon. Um, it's also starting to get cold here in the mornings. Like some mornings it's uh, 60 degrees or lower, which is kind of cool. And you know, if you're running, if you're running a few miles, it's not a big deal. But if you're going to be out there for an hour and a half or so, I found that I'd get home and I, I had trouble moving my hands. And so I picked up some gloves that have the capacitive touch in the fingertips so that I can use my phone while I'm running so I can switch songs. And uh, typically I'm listening to podcasts or audiobooks, but you know, so I can control that. Um, and, and that's been really great. And then I also picked up some long sleeve shirts that, um, you know, will hold in a little bit of warmth, but won't make me hot. And so um, anyway, I've, I've picked up a bit of running gear while I've been out. So um, I'll put links to all that stuff in the show notes as well. And uh, yeah. But yeah, running has really been a good thing for me. 
And uh, yeah, I've been a little concerned about my health anyway. I'm diabetic. I had some health problems at the beginning of the year uh, related to that. And uh, yeah, things are a lot better now. So uh, I'll, I'll shout out about that. I guess the last question I have, Saverio, is uh, if people want to find you online, where do they go? Uh, GitHub.com slash Saverio Mirotti. Uh, that's where everything is there. Because, for example, I also have um, a blog, but the blog is based you know, on the GitHub uh, blog okay. you know, pages. So, saberiomirotti.github.io. I just do everything. My presence is all open source. Um, okay. So, just saberiomirotti and GitHub will tell everything that I have to tell. <laughs> Sounds good. All right. Well, we'll go ahead and wrap this up. Uh, thanks again for coming. Thank you. And uh, we'll be back next week. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com to learn more.